you open your Bibles to our passage for today, it comes from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to kind of toggle between Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. I'm looking at you guys. Are we okay? <laughs> okay. They're, um, they're looking at me like, you forgot something, but I think we're okay. I did want to say, isn't that cool to have Joe up here today? Thank you for singing with us, Joe. Delighted to have you with us. While you're turning there, I just want to um, take just a moment to invite you. Would you scan, the, uh, and I apologize if you're on a phone, it's harder to do this, but would you scan the, um, the topics, the, 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 the headings in Luke chapter 9? In the beginning of Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus now is, is uh, setting apart his 12 uh, disciples to be him, basically, to represent him to a world. And uh, and the people around them don't understand what's happening. People are confused. First there was John the Baptist. Then there was Jesus. Now there seems to be 12 little Jesuses running around. Wouldn't that be cool if, if, if the world today was astounded by the number of little Jesuses wandering around, right? Uh, and then Jesus did that amazing miracle of, of feeding the 5,000 and... And then asking his disciples, who do the people say that I am? In other words, are the people just looking for miracles? Or are they recognizing who I am? And, and we saw that amazing passage we studied before where Jesus then asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, for the very first time, says out loud, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ, right? The reason I wanted you to scan this is because look what happens next. Jesus foretells his death. Now, for the first time, he crosses that line. Some of you watching the Chosen series, you're right at that point. Now, for the first time, he's crossing that line where he's sharing with his disciples the plan, his plan, right? And then he invites them to evaluate the cost of discipleship. Take up your cross, he says, and follows me and follow me. Then, as you follow the head, the headings, you'll see that. That glorious transformation that he prophesied a couple of verses before, that transfiguration takes place and, and they get a glimpse of what resurrected life looks like. There's another healing. Again, Jesus foretells his death. The disciples don't understand what's happening. And Jesus once again talks about the cost of discipleship. And then he comes now not with 12, but invites 72 I'm going to camp on that just for a second because it's really easy for me to hear the words of Jesus to his disciples, his 12, and to say, that was them, this is me, right? And I've tried to bust that with you over the years, right? To say that, that and, and it might have sounded brazen to you, but that when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he's speaking to us, right? We are followers. We are learners. We are people who desire to be like Christ. But it's so easy to say, but those 12 were special. Well, that's why I chose today to look at the commissioning of the 72. Because we've never said, well, those 72, they're special, right? Um, Jesus not only commissioned the 12 that were immediately with him, but there were many more following him. And he spoke words to them that we need to hear today, okay? So hear the word of God from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, after twice revealing that he is going to be crucified, 
after twice performing astounding miracles, after twice encountering first an individual in Herod, and then, then a whole people who were rejecting him, Jesus appoints 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. You say, why are you reading that so awkwardly? Because every word in that sentence is a powerful truth, right? He sent them two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. I'll, I'll try and not interrupt the scripture anymore, but I just want you to know that he still does that. He still sends his disciples into places where he's about to move, right? So this today is about preparing for that. Preparing to be sent by Jesus. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Does that sound familiar? So the third time we've seen this in scripture. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Not the best imagery that he could have used if he was trying to encourage them, right? Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son, or I'm going to translate that, a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Doesn't this sound incredible? This is God's word to his disciples. This is God's word to us. There is power in peace. And it's, I didn't mean to do this, but I apologize. It's palpable. Peace is palpable. And you can give it, and you can tell when it lands, and you can tell when it's returned or when it's not received, right? Peace is palpable. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. In other words, when you find a person of peace, focus on that person, right? Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The following words are really important, but for time, I'd like you to jump over to verse 16. He just said, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now in verse 16, the one who hears you, disciple, hears me, Jesus says. And the one who rejects you, disciple, Rejects me, Jesus. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Oh my goodness. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us, don't miss this, in your name. Right? In your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, look here, he says, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power, excuse me, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, 
Don't rejoice in this, right? That the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The very word of God. Oh my goodness, Lord, help us understand this. Lord, even beyond that, help us put what you reveal to us into practice. God, help us, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you, if you opened your, note, your bulletin and saw all those notes, you thought, oh my gosh, here we go. We're never going to make it through here. Uh, some portions I'm going to camp on. Some portions I'm going to move very fast. But even if we don't get to all those notes today, um, I want to invite you to use them to search the scriptures and to plumb this brief passage for the gold, for the riches, for the treasures that it holds. Jesus is coming to that point now where he realizes that his time is short. And so he models for us how to um, empower other people with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, how to, how to multiply, as it were, his effectiveness. When he told his disciples that he was going to be with the Father, they did not understand. He said, but you don't understand. If I don't go, then you can't receive the presence of the Holy Spirit yourself. If I stay here, I can only be in one place at a time. If I go, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And wherever you go, I go, right? That's the model for us in ministry. So what, what's important for us as disciples, uh, knowing that Jesus is entrusting so great a treasure to us? What's important for us today? There's myriad things in, in this passage, but let me just highlight a couple for you. First is the disciples' prayer. The disciples' prayer, right? It's not what you would expect. And Jesus said to them in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Imagine, um, out of the 160 people coming for food yesterday, and I think we had eight volunteers there, that there might have been times when the volunteers were going, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? Uh, when you're in that situation where you're starting to feel overwhelmed, right? What, what is it that you want? You want more people, right? You want more people to join you in the work. Jesus says, therefore, pray. And it says it in the strongest possible terms. Pray earnestly, right? Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Isn't that incredible? This is the same Jesus that multiplied five loaves and two fishes just in the previous chapter, right? This is the same Jesus that can kind of snap his fingers, not even have to snap them, but, but can do miracles, right? And yet, he's saying the solution to the need of the world around us is not for me to instantly make it happen, but for you to engage. I cannot explain it, beloved. But Jesus chooses to use people. Let me put it stronger. He chooses to use you to accomplish this purpose. Now, there is a divine logic to this, right? That... Uh, once you get beyond the fact that Jesus desires to use people, multiplication is much better than addition, right? Um, 
Jesus had previously sent out 12. Now he's sending out six times that number, 72 disciples. Don't, don't miss this, beloved, that he sent them out in twos. He never sent them out alone. He was always with them, but he gave, he gave them the presence of another human being to walk with. But, but Jesus is multiplying now in his last days the number of disciples who are representing him to the world. And I want to just suggest to you that that same dynamic is happening right now, that Jesus is multiplying his disciples and sending us out into the world. Uh, I know that from, for the last 2,000 years, people have believed that the, the end was near, right? Um, the end is near. Beloved, the end is near. And, and Jesus is multiplying his presence through us. Through us. But there's, but there's also a divine mystery here, right? Some things just make so much sense. Yeah, multiplication is much better than addition. But, but there's mysteries here too. The first thing that he invites us to do is not work harder, right? The first thing he invites us to do is to pray. Our first work is prayer, right? Our first work is prayer. The, the, you notice in, in the ESV, which we were reading from, he used that word um, labor, right? And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a word that comes from the world of agriculture and, and refers to the hard work of a farmer. A farmer sweats and labors for the harvest, right? He plows and sows and cultivates and harvests. I, I, um, I have about a half an acre that I'm responsible for. And I don't even, I mean, I don't plant crops. I'm just trying to keep the weeds down in the grass mode, right? And, and I'm conscious of the labor that it takes to do that, right? But it's only after the labor of plowing, of sowing, of cultivating, that the harvest comes. Only after these very hard tasks are accomplished can the farmer enjoy the harvest, Right? But here's the mystery. In, in the gospel labor, the labor of a disciple, there's another kind of hard work here. And it's the hard work of praying earnestly. Right? We all pray earnestly at one time or another, usually right in the moment of disaster. Right? Jesus says, that's the lifestyle of a follower of mine. A lifestyle of a, a disciple is one who labors in, in prayer, we call that in all of that extreme prayer, right? Growing our capacity, just like we work so hard to grow our capacity for God's word. God is inviting us to grow our capacity for prayer and the real work. I always think of you, Josie, when I think of this. The real work is, is in prayer. I showed you the story so many times when your husband was lost. Remember that? He had disappeared, and, and he was lost for several days. And, and the word came to us. We were actually in Bible study at the church on one Wednesday evening. And the word came to us that, that he was lost. And everyone in the Bible study said, let's, let's go. Let's stand up. I was, it was so cool. They all said, let's go find Ron, right? Let's find him. And, 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 and the wisdom of the Lord came over. They go, no. Rather than running out there and starting to drive around town, we need... We need to stop and pray that he is found, right? And, and uh, just 10 minutes later, I think we got a call that a boy was driving with his dad down the street. And he looked out the window and saw a man 
in a creek. I said, Dad, there's a man in the creek. And the man stopped. Um, we could have been running around, but the first work, right? The first work is prayer. I'm so grateful for those who were out there. I was found by somebody just driving down the street who looked to the left at exactly the right moment, right? And saw him there. I want to emphasize here for a moment that there is a time factor. As there was that night, there is a time factor. And, and in a harvest, there's a time factor. If the, if the harvest is not brought in, then it rots on the vine, right? If someone is not there to bring the harvest in, the opportunity can be missed. So there's an important time factor in, in our work. And, and, and that's the pray earnestly, pray urgently to the Lord to send workers into the field, right? But what we pray for is critical as well. I don't know about you, but I find myself all the time praying for the wrong things, right? Please don't misunderstand me. It's not wrong to pray for the last, the least, and the lost around us, right? But, but what Jesus says to pray for is that the church will activate. What Jesus says to pray for is that disciples of his will join in the work. What Jesus invites us to pray for is multiplication of laborers. Why? Why would the Lord of the harvest ask me, a lowly day laborer, right, to ask him for more laborers? This is an incredible mystery. I, I even hesitate to mention it. I do not want to cause any to stumble. But right in front of us has brought this, this tension that we live in between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Between divine sovereignty, God has a plan. And his plan is going to be accomplished. But for whatever reason, he chooses to use you. And you have, remember, ability, availability, responsibility, and accountability. You have the ability to respond. So he doesn't say pray that the lost will be found. He says pray that more people will go seeking the lost. Does that make sense? It's a visible tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And the answer, which is it, is yes, right? Is yes, it is both. And, and one day as we stand before him, we'll see that mystery revealed. How every, everything that we thought was our response was actually a part of God's perfect plan. There's a story from way back where um, William Carey approached a man and uh, invited him to um, engage in the kingdom, the ministry of the kingdom of God. And the man said to him, Son, if God wants the lost to be found, if he, if he wants the unsaved to be saved, he'll save them without your help. And they were, he was dead wrong, right? God chooses to use us for his purpose. God does the saving, but right here, you see that he also does the sending. So having been saved, the question for us is, will we be sent? God has chosen the means by which 
His elect, the ones he set apart from the foundation of the earth, will be saved through prayer and through going out among the last and the least and the lost. I'm going to pick up a little speed here, but let's look at that second aspect now. So our, our primary commitment is prayer, but the, a disciple's task includes this opportunity recorded for us in Luke 10, 3. Go your way. Behold, look here. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, right? We saw in Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. There is this aspect of going. Those of you so familiar with the Great Commission, right? In your going. He assumes that we are going. In everything we say and everything we do, we're charged to make disciples of all people groups, right? So Jesus says, go. Go your way. Go where Jesus is about to go. Go with his authority and power. We're not going to camp on that today, but, but that whole bit about snakes and demons, that's real. God has given you authority and power over every physical and spiritual dimension in Jesus' name, right? When they came back, what did they say? They said, look, even the demons are submitting to us in your name, Jesus. I know not everyone is comfortable with thinking about that, but Jesus was very comfortable talking about demons. He was very comfortable with recognizing there is an enemy, but that enemy is subject to the name of Jesus, proclaimed on the lips of followers of Jesus. Jesus said, go where he's going with his authority and power. And I just want to drop this one more time. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. Um, uh, we've talked before in Acts, whenever the Apostle Paul went alone, he got creamed, right? When he traveled with one other person, when he went with someone else together, wherever two or more are gathered, in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Don't go alone. Mm. And that word landed for a couple of you. And you feel very alone. And start here. We're going to end here on the service in just a few moments, but start here. You're never alone when you're Jesus, right? You're never alone. But, but Jesus knows that you need rubber flesh on. And so here's a room full of people. Those of you watching on, on TV, um, God has given you other brothers and sisters in Christ who will, who will walk beside you as well. Risk, risk sharing your struggle. Risk asking for their help. Risk believing that God might use them to help meet your need. Go, he said. But then, uh, we've spent a whole series on this one time, but travel light, he says, right? Travel light. And I'm so tempted to go into here and talk about all the spiritual baggage that we carry, right? And the emotional baggage, many of us, physical baggage here. But let me stick with the text today. And, and, and talk about what he was saying. Don't take even the normal essentials that you would need, right? Can you imagine going to Florida and are you going to go on vacation and don't take anything with you, right? Um, not even sunscreen, right? Um, it doesn't make sense, does it? Why? I mean, 
If Jesus was Martha, he would say, no, you know, it's been two weeks packing your bag, right? Make sure that you have everything you need. But Jesus was not. Why would Jesus challenge them to travel unprepared? Um, this is Dave here, but um, I don't think it's a huge leap, okay? Um, it forced them to depend on God. I shared with you before the story of Mickey Cruz in, in New York City. And in his training to, um, to take the gospel to New York City, they gave him a dollar. They challenged him to go out and do three weeks of ministry with just the clothes he had on his back and his dollar. And when he came back, he said, we want our dollar back. Right? Um, why? Because it forced them to depend on God. And God provided, as they saw the miraculous provision of God there, Faith was strengthened. But I want to go an extra step here with you right here and say it also forced them to depend on God through people. We've seen already that God chooses to use people not only to bring the gospel to others, but to provide for the needs of those bringing the gospel. That brings us to this concept, again, of a person of peace. Again, you can use mass marketing strategies and uh, and. Two out of every hundred people may, in some sense, respond um, just to the marketing, right? And we're so tempted to wrap everything in all this fancy marketing. But the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't, isn't for marketing, right? God has a plan. And every place that he sends you, he has prepared someone to receive you. And he says the way that you'll find that person is, is by this... Um, this searching for this person of peace. And I'm going to rely here on Luke 10. And Matthew 10 records the same passage, but it gives us a couple more insights. And, and then I'm going to just make a couple of summary statements. Do you have the concept? Um, God says, I'm, I want you, um, Dave, to, to impact um, Oak Ridge neighborhood for the kingdom of God. Well, let, me use, let me use a real story. He, uh, God invited me to impact for the gospel Wood Springs Suites, long-term hotel. Um, I know it was God. Ooh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Because I don't like those extended-stay hotels. When they come up uh, on my travel travel thing, I say, rats, I got an extended-stay hotel. I'm so cheap. I use the, the price line. Um, he sent me to um, Wood Springs Suites. I said, I want to I spend time among... Uh, those who don't know you, and so he sent me to Woodspring Suites, and um, and uh, I met a custodian at Woodspring Suites. He's watching right now on TV, and and um, and people were kind. They're, no, you know, people weren't rude to me. They they at least nodded their head. And asked, but one person responded. One person started asking me questions. One person asked me to come early. And before work, and and do a Bible study with him, right? Um, that person was here a couple of weeks ago with his family uh, at our Halloween outreach. Um, it, it was a person that God had prepared for the gospel. He was a person of peace. And when he came, by the way, he didn't come alone to our Halloween thing. He brought his whole family. He brought his his sister-in-law. That's a major thing for a guy to bring his sister-in-law, okay? Um, Mother-in-law, that's, that's an act of God, but sister-in-law is a major thing for a guy to do. Um, God, 
God had prepared someone at Wood Springs Suites. And, and he has consistently, even to this day, we text a couple times a day, he consistently has been open to the gospel, right? Henry, I love you, and uh, look forward to seeing you again real soon. Um, when you start going beyond your own network, when you start risking putting God's word into practice, when you start looking for individuals who are open to the gospel, you're looking for that person. A piece, this is going to go by really fast. Got your pencils ready if you're a note person. And Luke 10, a person of peace is defined as someone who opens his door to you. Who receives your blessing and who shows interest. Who is hospitable to you. Who offers to sustain you in some way. Who doesn't waste time. In the parallel passage in Matthew 10, this person is defined as someone whom the Lord Deems as worthy. By the way, the Lord and people have different standards of worthiness, right? Verse 13, who has influence in his home, who receives you, who hears, and we understand the impact of that word hears, who hears your words, right? Both Luke 10 and Matthew 10 are saying God has a way for you to impact. I'm looking at you, Chad, and, and knowing that you found a person of peace. You found a couple of them in your workplace. And, and, and after years of impacting his, his work environment and, and uh, seeking to, to impact his work environment, uh, God has blessed Chad with a couple people of peace, right? Let me just add, a person of peace will be open when you make spiritual statements. So when I'm out among the lost, I, I, I don't start with turn or burn. People tried that with me when I was in college. It did not work for me, all right? I, um, I start with, hey, how are you? What's going on in your life, right? And when I slide from, from informational kind of stuff to, to personal stuff, they follow. When I slide from personal stuff to, to, to spiritual stuff, they follow, right? They're open when you make spiritual statements. They respond with spiritual statements. It might be counter. What in the world would God want to do that for? But it's responding with spiritual statements statements. They ask questions of you, not just to tell you their opinion. They want to know more, right? And they respond to your invitation for them to learn directly from God's word. Our goal is to not make people dependent on ourselves, but to get them into God's word, right? To learn from God's word. So this is our, this is our, um, our new tool in our toolbox, beloved. That um, don't just go randomly um, marketing the gospel of Jesus. Believe, pray, and believe that God has prepared someone for you. And watch for that person. What does this look like practically? Uh, it sounds awkward, but uh, can I use you, Kathy? Is that okay? Um, her, her stomach just went like that. But, um, um, hey, peace of Christ be with you, right? Um, now, depending on where they are, that reaction is going to either land or or not land. How would it land with you? If I just said that, well, if I said to you, peace of Christ be with you, what would happen? What, do you, what would, how would you respond to me? You would, because you're a deeply fallen, committed follower of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, another person might say, thank you. Look at me kind of weird. Um, that, there's an opening there, right? Another person might say, um, I'm a little busy right now, right? 
We get that all the time, don't we, Lorraine? Uh, a little busy right now. Some people run when they see me coming, right? <laughs> I'm just talking about people in the church. I'm not talking about people out there. Um, you know, you know, you know, peace is palpable. You know when they are responding. Worship team, come on up if you would. I'm going to have to move very fast, but, but we saw that he gave us power over demons, right? In Jesus' name. One of the most powerful things you can do is heal the sick. And, and now right around about five of you just went, I'm out of here, right? What are you talking about? You don't heal the sick. You don't do miracles. Jesus does miracles. Amen? But you can be his instrument, right? You can be his instrument. There are many kinds of sicknesses, are there not? And only that individual knows what it is. So note the power of this question. How can I pray for you? How can I lift you up before the one who is able to meet your every need, right? It's such a powerful, especially to move from emotional conversations to spiritual ones. How can I pray for you? I can't tell you how many times people go, whoops, now you cross the line. And then later, seek me out and, and say, you know, there is a way you can pray for me. Um, my sister is desperately ill. Um, wow, when you when you pray and go out among the lost and, and then offer to bring someone before the throne of grace, it's an amazingly powerful thing. And when God delivers, when God answers their prayer, not always like they wanted, but like they needed, then it, it binds your hearts together and you can celebrate together. But he also challenged you to proclaim the gospel. Make sure at some point, we said this a couple weeks ago, put words to it. Put words to it. This, I'm not doing this because I'm a nice guy, right? I'm, I'm doing this because Jesus is real. The kingdom of God has come near to you. you in the, do you see the beauty of that statement? You don't decide whether someone's saved or unsaved, right? All you can do is say the kingdom of God is near and you ought to take advantage of it, right? Do you remember the message that John the Baptist brought? The kingdom of God is near. You're preparing the way for the Savior. But what message did Jesus bring? The kingdom of God is here, right? It's here now. You get a front row seat while someone discovers the power of God in Jesus Christ. The last thing I want to just encourage you is, is your attitude. A disciple's attitude Attitude of a plane, remember that study? The attitude of a plane is which direction the nose is pointing. There's things like yaw, there's things like that, but attitude of the plane is, is the nose pointed up or is it pointed down, right? And by the way, in a plane, you always want the nose pointed up, right? In a disciple, you always want the nose pointed up. The attitude of a faithful disciple is joy, is joy. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, right? And we've studied before, joy is not pleasure, it's not even circumstantial happiness. Joy is a spiritual reality, right? They were tempted to rejoice, to choose joy in the fact that the demons were subject to them. But, but Jesus said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to get, how did they say it in Chosen? Get used to different, right? Is that how they said it? Um, get used to different here. Don't rejoice in the things that you are able to do in my name. That's me doing those things, right? Rejoice that your name 
is written in the book of life. Beloved, is your name written in the book of life? I love it that we're coming to the table of the Lord today because in a sense, did you see, did you see what uh, he challenged me? He said, go out there in the world and one of the signs that you found a person of peace is they invite you to sup with them, right? And the night in which he was, he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he invited us to sup with him. Now there is a, a literal thing that we're going to do in a moment to symbolize that. We're going to eat this bread and drink this cup. But, but the reality of what Jesus is inviting us to do is to commune with him. To have a common union with him. Now pray with me, would you? Jesus, thank you for the sweet, sweet invitation to know you. To walk with you. To commune with you. But Jesus, we know that With this privilege comes a call. I pray for those who have not yet committed their lives to you, Jesus. Those who have, up until this point, trusted in their own ability to provide. God, I thank you that that you know us and you know our needs. Reveal to us, God, how we can put our weight down, not on ourselves, but on you. Grant that we might be able to say to you, I'm trusting that your Holy Spirit, God, that we might be able to say to you, I'm tired, God, of trying to be my own Savior. I'm, I'm tired of trying to carry all this responsibility myself. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I will follow you. I will learn from you, Jesus, through your word. And I will spend my life from this day forward becoming more and more through your grace like you. Oh, you prayed that prayer today. I beg you, tell someone. Tell someone. Let us help you begin your life of discipleship. But if you're like me and you have known Jesus for a long time and you've forgotten some of the passion that you initially had when you became a follower of Jesus, know that there's still time. Though Kronos may be fleeing, Kairos, God's time, is right now. He's inviting us back into his perfect plan for the kingdom. So if you're like me, I I just invite you to cry out. God, thank you for your patience with me. I do want to represent you to the world. I thank you for your word, which literally tells us how we can do that. I pray, God, that you would allow these truths to sink into my mind and that you would allow my body to respond until, God, Lord willing, every single person on earth has a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, joy is the expression of a right relationship with God. Let's let's rejoice, shall we? Let's remind ourselves of those truths. That he who calls us is faithful. Amen. He who calls us will never leave us or forsake us. He will not abandon us. 
but he will walk with us every step of the way. Will you worship with me now?